Welcome to Reforming Islamics. My name is Nick. Hey, and I'm Tom. Uh, before we start, you can follow us on Instagram at Reforming Islamics. And if you have any questions, concerns, comments, you can also direct messages on there on Instagram. And if you want to um, have a more formal interaction with us, we also have an email, reformed, that's with the ED, reformedslavics at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out. Uh, today's topic is going to be essentially can a Christian lose their salvation or the salvation that we possess, you know. And before we dive into the, I guess, the affirmative or like the proof for it from scripture, and this is going to be a primarily a heavy, heavy scripture episode, like a lot of reading, a lot of diving into scripture. Um, I, I'm going to go off of a verse that is used quite oftenly at, on the op- opposition side, right? Um, people who say, if I make the statement, well, you can't lose your salvation as a Christian, they will point to Hebrews chapter 6, and they'll say, well, in Hebrews chapter 6, it says the following, and they will read it, and then there will be a discussion on, well, does that mean this? Does that really mean, can you lose your salvation? So I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to try to break it down, and we will see uh, how, what what the scripture says and how we can kind of process it. And then we'll jump to um, Peter for a little bit, and then we could uh, talk about some affirmative or things that, you know, the scripture does actually talk about us not losing our salvation, that Christ will keep us. Um, yeah, so Hebrews chapter 6, if you're following along, probably not, you're probably in your car or, you know, wherever you are. But Hebrews chapter 6, it'll be the, and the, in my Bible it says warning against apostasy, right? So starting from verse 4 and on, I believe chapter, uh, verse 12. For this is, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they have crucified once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that drank, that has drunk the rain often falls on it and produces a crop to those, produces a useful crop to those whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near being cursed. Its end is to be burned. And then he says later on, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. And when you say, hey, um, I believe that a Christian can't lose their salvation. And if you receive Christ in your heart and you believe in him, you confess him as Lord, and you obey him and love him, that change that occurred upon your regeneration, the thing that happened in you when you repented is something that cannot be reversed and cannot be lost. It cannot be taken away. But, um, someone might say, what about the fact that Hebrews writer says, well, there are people who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have enlightened, have been enlightened, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. 
and then the very next verse, verse 6, and they have fallen away. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying the Son of God. And so the primary issue here is like, what does it actually mean to have been enlightened, to have tasted the heavenly gift, to have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted in the goodness of God? Does Do, do those statements confirm that in fact you must be a believer you must be someone who is regenerated who has been saved in order to experience uh, those four points right and my argument would be that you can be in a congregation of people where that experience is quite often and yet still not have a salvific experience and not have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and not have been bought by Christ and here is my, uh, I guess, foundation for that. Yeah, It's the following verses. It's the example that the writer of Hebrews uses in contrasting, one, the ground that is cultivated and produces a useful crop whose end, in the end, receives a blessing, and the contrast with the land that produces thorns and thistles and is to be burned and is close to a curse, right? So there's a, there, there's there's a uh, there's a, some statements being made, right? And then after that, there's an example in order to summarize and put an emphasis on the statements. And what the example says is that there are two individual groups of land. One produces and bears fruit. The other produces thorns and thistles. This reminds me of multiple passages that Jesus, examples that Jesus uses about uh, the sower who sows the seed. And one land produces some amount of grain, and then birds come and pluck the grain away. Some are covered up by um, thorns and, and weeds, and it dies. Mm-hmm. Some don't get enough water. Some fall in rocky soil, right? So here we see that the Word of God being the thing that falls is the rain, the blessing of God. These experiences, the land experience... Both lands experience the exact same thing on both the rainfalls. Yet one produces thorns and thistles, the other produces fruit. And the individual that experienced all these still can produce thorns and thistles. Um, we also see the idea of, since it's the writer to the Hebrews, the entire story of Israel. Mm-hmm. People in the Old Testament experience being enlightened what does that mean they heard the voice of god they tasted the heavenly gift by actually hearing the law that moses read they actually participated in the holy spirit by being part of the worship in the tabernacle and they have tasted the manna that literally fell from heaven Mm -hmm. and in the end only two of them entered the promised land and all the others fell away because of unbelief that 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 example shows that you can participate in all these aspects of god's grace and yet you are still the land that produces thorns and thistles meaning that you have not been cultivated to produce fruit you are dead you are a dead land that has no ability to bear god's godly fruit right and that's sanctification the more for you produce the more evidence you possess of your actual transformation. And so I would argue that when the writer of Hebrews is speaking in those two lands, he's saying, 
one of these one of this this land actually was changed they both had rainfall on them but this land actually was changed in order to produce fruit and this land was not changed in any way it just produced thorns and thistles meaning they had the same exact experience they experienced the enlightenment they experienced the tasting of the heavenly gift they shared in the holy spirit and yet there are such just distinct outcomes what do you think it means that it says that it is impossible for those like it's impossible for them to be brought back to restore them back to repentance mm. so that, that brings another question of um, you know, is this talking about like some impartable sin, like the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? So this specifically is addressing those people who have been so, yes and no. <laughs> the, 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 this is, for example, um, when it, when it speaks of the Pharisees, right? The reason they crucified Christ was not because they lacked the knowledge that he was the son of God. The reason the Pharisees crucified Christ was because he was the Son of God, right? That they clearly saw Lazarus rise from the dead, mm-hmm. and that is the moment they decided this guy has to die. So it wasn't a lack of like ignorance. It wasn't a lack of evidence. It, you know, there was no yeah. there was no ignorance involved. It was it was them acknowledging that hey, this is in fact someone who can raise the dead to life but we have to kill him. Yeah, it says that they saw Lazarus, you know, alive, and then they plotted to kill him. Yeah, and so, <laughs> yeah, and, and so the answer to that would be um, the, the people who experience all these things in the body of believers, all the information, all the experiences that can possibly be there in order to produce in you a desire to love God and to submit to him have already been there. And so if they ask somehow for a new experience or, or some way of Christ revealing himself again, they actually hold, con, con, meaning contempt is a hateful desire or like it essentially translates hate Christ, right? Contempt. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually holding the cross of Christ in contempt and saying that the evidence that was presented through the Holy Spirit, through the wording, reading of the word, through all the experiences, the actual tasting of the word of God is not sufficient for them and they require more. And the answer of Hebrews is, well, there is nothing else. Christ is the final sacrifice. I think, isn't it also because the writer of Hebrews, he was addressing, right, Jews that had a temptation to go back to the, to go back to saying circumcision is needed for to be saved you need to right like hebrews is talking about the main word that hebrews talks about is better like jesus is a better is better this better this better priest a better interceder yeah than, than moses than than an angel than anyone and so there's that temptation of um of people to want to go back to maybe their old uh you know the temptations of this world and that's where, isn't this like chapter just remind you of like all the people that become like very uh, staunch atheists or like incredibly against the church mm-hmm. because they have, they have the evidence, they have those, but they just, they just hate God. Yeah. And the idea of Hebrews, right? The entire book of Hebrews is 
on the foundation of the Old Testament. Like it's written to the Jews who know the law, who read the story or heard the stories of Moses, the wilderness, the tabernacle, the prophets, the kings, all that is the foundation. And so the writer, he was constantly drawing for examples in order to describe what the New Testament and what Christ is all about. He refers to him as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek that once and for all did not need to sacrifice for himself, but came into the Holy Holies and once and for all paid for sin and the veil was torn in two. So there's no more requirement of sin because the, you know, the blood of the bulls and, and, and rams and goats would not, were not able to wash away the sin. Mm-hmm. And so in order for me to say like, yes, in fact, the people who tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and had the goodness of God and the heard of the word of God, for me to say that those are the people who actually experience salvation, right? If, if I say that, if someone comes to me and say, well, those are descriptors of someone who actually is a true Christian, who's been regenerated, who's been saved. Um, I would say that doesn't flow in continuity with the example that is giving about the land because it's talking about the same experience and yet two different outcomes, right? And so I would say like you can actually taste the heavenly gift, which is the word of God, just like the, the uh, Israelites tasted in the wilderness. They heard the word of God, yeah. the law. They participated in the actual tabernacle service. They saw the presence and the holiness of God. They tasted the manna that fell from heaven. And yet, none of them entered the promised land because of a lack of faith. And that serves as the Old Testament foundation in which the writer of Hebrews writes and says, you, there are these two distinctions. And you could be in a group of people in which you the, the group of people is experiencing all these things yeah. and yet not have a regenerate heart. Yeah. So, like, what would you say to the person that says, but I knew someone that was incredibly on fire for God. They absolutely had fruit in their lives. Like, I could just tell that they were even, like, converting people to Christ, and yet they completely reject Christ now. They're not even wanting to come back to Him. There's absolutely nothing. There's nothing now in Him. No fruit of the Spirit is... Was he, how was that experience, you know, how was that compared to, you know, yeah, I what, get what, you're saying. what you say? Yeah, and um, we, we can't look at other people and look in their hearts and find out if they're regenerate or not. Like, we don't have that ability. And to, as much as we, we can judge, the only things we can judge are the actions on which the people who we interact with, you know, live on. And so if, if a person continually grows in faith and continually does produce fruit, like the writer of Hebrews says, then they receive a blessing from God. Mm-hmm. But if they produce thorns and thistles, they are, the land the land is to be burned. And so, yeah, that person could have converted people themselves not being a Christian, right? And, you know, well, how did that happen? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who converts, not the people who <laughs> proclaim the gospel. Yeah, God could use a donkey to speak. Yeah, and but at the same time, we have to recognize that um, 
there's there are examples that Paul brings up, like Demas, who was with us but loved, loved this world and yeah. faded away. Loved the things of this world. Yeah, and there there are multiple examples, and it, it does say that they went away from us. Why? Because they were never of us, right? And this brings up uh, another passage that a lot of people come up with is Second Peter. Two twenty three twenty two. It's it's uh, the idea that um, you know those who went away or those who departed, those who lived a holy life, but then they departed, and people say like, well, what happened there? C- can can you actually function as a Christian without being a Christian? It's like, yeah, I mean, look at all the nice Mormons out there. Like, have you encountered nice Mormons that? live seemingly very good moral lives absolutely but they have a false they have a false jesus and so we would say that hey like i I can actually read it let's find second peter 2 20 322 and this is like the other warning that is given for if after they have Escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and over and overcome. And at la- the last day has become worse than the first. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Like someone who escapes the worldly passions becomes a Christian, but then again it gets entangled with sin, and it becomes even worse than they were previously. Yeah. For it would have been better for them to have never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. Right? So it seems as though a person, well, define the word, known the way of righteousness, right? We would say that knowing the way of righteousness is the just the, the, the head knowledge, the actual acknowledgement of it, not the actual change of the heart that is produced. And why do I say that? Because the very following... It says that as a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, after washing herself, returns to the swallow and to wallow in mire, in the mire, right, the the mud, the dirt. Um, the dog still stays a dog, and the pig still remain a pig. There is no actual nature change in those mm-hmm. animals. Yeah. And so, what Peter's saying here is, he's saying like, the people who experienced the way of righteousness, what they did is they came and they functioned like they were saved. But there was no actual nature change in them. And so that's why a dog goes back to its vomit because that's what dogs do. That's the dog's nature. That's why a pig goes back to the mud because that's the pig's nature. And so those people never actually had the regeneration of the heart in order for them to recognize who Christ is. And, and um, those that's what the passages are actually talking about. It's the fact that yeah. they functioned and yet their ultimate nature was revealed because they went back to their sin yeah that's where that's why we try to completely make no distinction is that when you're born again what happens is you're regenerated it's like ezekiel 36 says i'll pour out my spirit onto you and i'll cause you to walk in my ways i'll cause you to walk in my statutes and i'll write my law upon their hearts yeah he he will cause you to want to do these new things 
uh, if there's anyone, you know, in Christ, he, he, he's therefore, an, like, he's a new creation. All things have become new. So, yeah, those are kind of the, some of the passages that um, usually pop up. Like, if, 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 if there is a, any discussion in regards to, like, hey, can a Christian lose his salvation? Um, what are the supporting passages for one or the other? Yeah. Um, and those, those are usually the most common that I've experienced that are brought up. Like, hey, Hebrews does say, you know, if they've experienced all these things, you can't bring them back to repentance. That means they lost it. And it's like, well, not not according to the writer of Hebrews because he brings up this example and it doesn't match, you know, that kind of thought process. And also in Peter, Peter explains the fact that there was no nature change. They just went back yeah. to who they were. I think that 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 if you misunderstand Hebrews 6 wrongly, it could even scare you because you might think that I could lose my salvation and then I can't come back. But that's not even what it's talking about. It's talking about a willful rejection that you don't even want to come back. A good evidence, you know, if you want to know if you're saved is that you have a desire that you want to be, that you want to come back. And also that you actually, uh, like, you know, if you're actually doubting, a lot of times if you're doubting your salvation, that's actually a good sign that you you, you have it, right? Because someone that's not saved is not worried about that. They're, yeah. They're worried about uh, some other, you know, things of this world that... Um, the consequences, you know, of, oh, I'm not going to be able to, uh, you know, maintain my status or something like that. Well, ultimately, uh, we human beings, like, we as people, we worship, we pursue and worship the things we find most worthy of it. And so if, if you decide that, if your worry is about you losing your salvation, you must find some worth in it. Right there, there's some aspect of your soul, your heart, your mind that is recognizing that this thing that you might not have attained has extreme weight. Rather than the person who has no worry or or anxiety in regards to their salvation, that speaks to the fact that there's no actual weight. They don't put any actual value into it, and therefore their heart isn't their, their heartstrings don't tug there, right? It, there are people who war for causes, right? Like World War Two, for example, right? There was a genocide. There was a genocide going on, and people went to war, essentially, more or less, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Civil War. There was a cause that was worthy enough of a lot of death. If if we were find worth in something, we will pursue it, and we would will be worried and concerned about it. Versus if you don't find worth in something, then why would you why would you pursue something you don't find any worth in and the writer of hebrews is talking about someone who finds no worth in christ yeah. there, there's nothing about christ and his cross that they find precious or or worth worshiping and so they hold him in contempt and then that's why he says crucifying him again meaning that they need something more valuable than the son of god and the writer of hebrews is like hey guys the most valuable thing in this entire universe has already been given for your salvation. If you ask for anything more valuable that you want to pursue, there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, if the Pharisee, if the Pharisees or the Jews that crucified Jesus, if, if they had a chance, they would crucify him again. That's pretty much what he's saying. Like, and there was proof of that because they stoned Stephen. Yeah. And they closed their ears 
because Stephen was saying, your blood, the may the blood be upon you, you know, that you crucified Jesus. And they were like, shut up, we're going to kill you if you don't stop talking. About yeah, when, when Jesus raises uh, Lazarus from the dead, there was, the reason that the um, Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees crucified Christ was not because of a lack of evidence or a lack of knowing that he is the Son of God. It was the very fact that they thought their political power was worth more than the Messiah of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Right, they 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 did that calculation, and in their hearts, political power was worth more than Christ. Right, yeah. that was the calculation they came up with. Yeah, and this is where the Bible says those who are in the flesh cannot please God, and ultimately they were still in the flesh. If you have the Spirit, you can please God, and they're only one to please themselves. Yeah, and this this boils down to what John says. Like this is John six is like the foundational. Uh, chapter in regards to uh, the the work, the groundwork that's laid out for Christians, which which the Christians who can say that like Christ saved me, the, the Father drew me to Christ, and I am in His hand, and nothing can be done to undo what I've received and what the process of salvation happened. Like real quick, salvation is the process by which you receive something. Salvation is a gift, but like the actual, the word salvation is an act which was um, played out or Christ did the act of salvation. Like he saved you. Purchased. The purchasing was an act. Yeah. But the object or, or the result of that act was your adoption and you becoming a son. Like, right? There, there is a new heart in you now. So salvation is a process the result of which is regeneration, a new heart, right? Uh, if, you know, if I said, like, I'm building a house, the process is the building, like, the building process, like, I am actually putting in work. The result of that is a, as a house. Salvation is the process, and then the result is a new heart, right? A new nature. And so when Jesus is discussing this, he says that... I can read it. Yeah, go ahead. Verse 37... John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have not come down from heaven, for I have come down from heaven, sorry, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So, this is a very Trinitarian, right? The Father, God the Father, draws and, and takes and then gives a people to the Son for which He pays the price for on the cross. And then once that occurs... Those people, the same people for whom Christ died, will be raised on the last day. And what does Jesus say? And the will, the thing that God wants, the the thing that he desires, and the thing he will accomplish, is that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Now, 
the simple question stands. If Jesus says that I, as God, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, will lose nothing that my Father gives me and will raise it up on the last day, right? If that's the scriptural words, then the question is, hey, uh, if, if people who are saved, truly, genuinely saved, regenerated, believe in Jesus, have repented, are saved, and then fall away, right? Meaning that they are no longer saved and they're going to hell. Did Jesus fail in the statement that he just made? Is the promise that Jesus is making in John 6, did it fail on that? If someone can truly receive salvation, be given to Christ, and then be lost? Like, the simple answer is like, yeah. Like, Jesus failed in his promise of losing nothing that the Father gives him. If you can become a Christian and then fall away. Because not only does he save you, in John he says, I will lose nothing, but also I will raise them up on the last day. Meaning that from the from the very beginning of the process in which the Father gives, and that we would call that election, right? The Father takes and gives to the Son a certain group of people, not all people, right? Because there's people going to hell. So there's a certain group of people that mm-hmm. God the Father takes and he gives to Christ. Christ dies and atones for their sin. And then after that, he loses none of them and raises them up in the last day, which, you know, Corinthians chapter 15 talks about where we are raised and changed in the blink of an eye. Some, those who are left alive are changed in the blink of an eye and those who are dead in Christ are raised to new life in a glorified body. Those are the same group of people. There's there's not min- there's not minus one of them. All of them end up that way. What would you say if someone said, oh, but all the people that God gives to Jesus or the Father gives to Jesus are people that he knows in advance uh, and the end will not fall away. That's true. That's a true statement right there. What's wrong with that statement? <laughs> I don't see any, again, that's, that's what the scripture says. Like, why would, why would, why wouldn't God the Father give to Jesus those who, because Jesus dies for them. So I, I don't see an issue with that statement. The only issue people see with that statement is like, hey, Jesus is receiving people that the Father gives him, but the Father doesn't give him all the people. He just gives him a certain group of people that he elected. That's the per- the issue that people have. Like, why are there some that are not given to the son yeah. by the father? He says, you know, the, the sheep know my voice. Yeah. And then he tells the people that aren't, you know, the Pharisees, he tells them, they don't believe in me because they are not of my fold. They are not my sheep. But Yeah. And you, if you look at the, if you go verse by verse, like, all that the Father gives to me, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Who comes to Jesus? Those who the Father has given. And there's this direct chain of redemption that the writer of the Romans, Paul, right? Paul, the apostle, writes to the Romans, and he, in chapter 8, he, toward the end of chapter 8, he uses this, um, a lot of people call coined it like the golden chain of redemption, there is this direct path from election to regeneration, 
So, so like election, the call, regeneration, and glorification. There's like this clear and distinct line that you you can't really disregard. Like it's there in Scripture. This is going to be um, Romans chapter eight, verses twenty on and on, twenty nine and on. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Right? God knows them. He elects them to be confirmed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Right? So God knows, God elects. Then what does he do? Whom he predestined, he called. He elects, then he sends out the gospel. And he calls those people and those people accept the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then after that, he calls, he predestines, he also calls and those who he called, he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So from the very beginning, those whom God foreknew, he will glorify. Mm -hmm. There is no escaping the reality that Jesus has not failed in his promise that he said in John chapter 6 Jesus promised he, he this is this is the will like Jesus says the thing that I came to earth for is this not the not the petty stuff not not the political power stuff not you know dividing inheritances among brothers but this is my purpose the the essence of my incarnation this is the will of the father mm-hmm is that the ones that he gives me, I will lose none of them. And those that he gives me, I will raise in the last day. So if we establish that footwork in regards to what Jesus says, then we can interpret all the other passages that seem kind of iffy in light of what Jesus said in regards to what he came to do. Yeah. Right, we can we can harmonize those passages, but a lot of times what happens is um, we find a passage that can lean one way or the other, and we start developing a theology theological stronghold in there, and then what happens is we, we run into a verse like, well, I guess the Bible contradicts itself, and we have these rivalries. No, like you you see what Jesus said, and then you try to harmonize with what he came to do because. If there is someone who has lost their salvation, Jesus simply failed his promise. He failed the will of the Father. And I don't believe in a God who can fail. I like I just don't. If if he wants and he desires, God will accomplish. Right? Mm-hmm. He God doesn't break a promise. God cannot lie. Yeah. The Father gives certain people to the Son and then the you know, the Son dies for them and then the Holy Spirit seals them. And it says that, you know, the gifts of God are irrevocable. Uh, they can't be taken away. Yeah, and you do have examples of uh, pe- people who seemingly profess to believe in Christ, do works and um, perform, you know, great acts for God, and yet, in their own heart of hearts, has never been changed. Their heart of stone remains, and all they do is they perform and act it out, and that is revealed through, you know, eventually them 
departing from the faith. Yeah. First John 2.19 says, They went out from us, because, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that then it might become plain that they are not of that they all are not of us. Yeah, and this goes back to this idea of corporate Israel. There were a lot of people who participated in the tabernacle, who had seen the manna fall and tasted of the manna, who were in the midst of the fire pillar by night and the cloud pillar by day, right? There were people there who did not enter the promised land. They were part of the group of Israel, but they were not the real Israel, the seed of the promise, the people of faith. Yeah, and that's, that's what Hebrews harkens back to. Hebrews yeah. harkens back to. That's why Romans nine says, you know, not all of Israel are of Israel. Yeah. In other words, there's a remnant. Uh, we are, we have been grafted in as Gentiles into Israel. Um, and it's also interesting when you keep on reading Romans eight. You said like verse twenty nine thirty, but if you keep on going to thirty seven. Well, that's the that's you know, like the coronation. Yeah, if you yeah. want to read that, that's like the ultimate. Yeah, and it. Like, throughout all of this, he says, you know, like verse 33, um, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Um, and then 37, and in, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who, who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the question is like, all right, it says, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And someone would say, but it doesn't say that I can't. I can't do it myself. Yeah. Are you? And then the question goes: Are you part of creation? Yeah, but it does. You know, what if sin separates us from the love of Christ? It's like, yeah, that's the thing that does separate you from the love of Christ. Sin is the thing that separates you from the love of Christ. What did Jesus do about that sin? He nailed it on the cross once and for all, paying for it. For there is no therefore. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Yeah. For it is Christ Jesus who, who justified, right? And so all the all the issues like, well, I'm a human being, I'm part of creation. Well, sin can separate you. Christ yeah. dealt with sin on the cross. Yeah, it says part once of the and list, for all. Part of the list is nor powers. Any kind of power. The power of sin and death has been crucified on the cross. Well, what does it say? Death has no power. Right, sin has been paid in full to to tell us die. Right, Jesus Christ actually dealt with that problem. Like, if someone says sin could separate me from Christ, that's a true statement. Yeah, right. But it's also a true statement that Christ already dealt with that sin on the cross. Yeah, Romans eight two says, "For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death." Yeah, and there's. There's not just an ounce of sin that was paid. There's not just a number that is finite. Christ paid for it all, once in for all, right? We don't we don't recrucify. That's why that's why the writer of Hebrews says there, there's no there's no sacrifice left for these people because 
Christ did it once and for all. There's no more opportunity for sin to be paid for because it has been dealt with. The wrath of God has, in fact, been satisfied on the behalf of those who believe in Jesus. Yeah. So, can 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 you separate you from the love of Christ? No, you're part of creation. Can sin separate you from love of Christ? Yes. But he already dealt with that sin. That was the thing that was separating you. And those who are in Christ have no condemnation. Yeah. And those... So what would you say the purpose, like, why why does God give us, like, warning passages then? You know, I mean, why would he say, like, why would he give us warnings? Warning for apostasy? Yeah. yeah well, that's what, like, that was the title that was above, I think it was the end of chapter 5 and throughout um, chapter 6 of Hebrews. The warning passages are meant to warn, meaning you should experience a dread and a fear of living in sin because there's one of two options either you are a christian who is disobeying your master and living in sin for which you must repent and do the things that please god because you're doing it out of love for christ right me if i'm married and i love my again this is a fragile example and a very poor allegory but nevertheless it's it's one that scripture uses. Um, Christ says, love love your wife as Christ loved the church, right? So if I'm not loving my wife, that doesn't mean I'm no longer married. It just means I need to reconcile my relationship with her because I love her. Like, that's my whole existence. But if we are warned against uh, sin and we are not Christians, we should examine ourselves and that gives us an opportunity to actually become Christians, Right? There is use in warning passages for both purposes. Those who are Christians or are in sin must repent and actually love God with their hearts and their minds and their souls and live their Christian life. And those who are in the camp of Christianity, who are tasting the heavenly gifts, who are experiencing something, right, and the Holy Spirit is moving, like those people should acknowledge that they still have sin in life and they should become Christians, right? Because the danger is that you will experience all these things and your conclusion will be, well, I like, there's more worth in this world than there's worth in Christ. I think one of the greatest examples to the point that that we can't tell if someone is, you know, we shouldn't ultimately judge someone's heart before God, right? We could make broad assumptions, right? We could look at their fruit, but we can't ultimately decide or look into their heart and say, that person is not saved. Oh, that person drinks, that person smokes. Like, what if they're just struggling with that? But ultimately, a great example is like Judas, right? All the disciples were around the table, and Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And they all look at each other, and they're like, wait, is it me? Is it me? And this was Judas that they spent, you know, three and a half years with. This is someone that they were with every single day. And that just goes to show that someone, like back to the example, or back to the experience part where people say, I've been with this brother for years and years. And there were so many signs. Like Judas was with all the disciples as they were going around evangelizing, doing, you know, casting out demons, doing like miracles. Who knows what Judas felt or experienced of the Holy Spirit, but obviously he was not feel the Holy Spirit regenerate him. 
Yeah, he was literally in the presence of the Son of God. And what we often forget is that same night, Peter denied Christ three times. Mm -hmm. Right? And yet was restored. Why? Because Jesus is the answer to your sin. You separate yourself from God through your sin. But Christ actually did something on the cross. Yeah. There was there was an actual he actually saved you. He didn't make your salvation potential. He didn't make your salvation available. He saved you. Yeah, he says I will raise them up on the last day. It's it's a assurance that cannot be thwarted. Like there is there's no questions about it. Yeah. There's a certainty for it. Um yeah. I know um one of the example or one of the things that people might bring up is well if you just have this if you know you're not going to be if you can't lose your salvation then aren't you just going to keep on going on sinning it's like yeah let, uh, let us let us sin that grace may abound like aren't you just going to want to do the things that you want to do yes you will do the things that you want to do and that's true right and in fact paul addresses that and uh, versus i mean in chapter 7 of romans right the man who is a slave to sin and his flesh will do the things of the flesh. But the man who's been regenerate, who has died, who has died to he's sin, he's no longer legally obligated, just like a Briggs example to his wife. He yeah. can remarry. He's no longer law. And so, in the same way, we have died to the law of sin and, and death. And so, we do what we want to do because what we want to do is. We want to honor Christ. We want to love him. We want to repent of when we disobey him. And we want to live a life that honors and glorifies him. Every single time we recognize that there is something that we must be crucified, right? And that's a process which is called sanctification. We constantly grow in obeying that. But yeah, once you get regenerated and you're saved, you do what you want because what you want to do is to please Christ ultimately. And if you're doing the things you want and it is displeasing to Christ, you should read the passages about apostasy because you might be in the category of people who was not regenerate. And so you have the opportunity to recognize that your heart needs that salvific experience. Or if you're a Christian, quit quit faking. Be a real Christian, you know? Uh, Those are the kind of two outcomes that i see yeah man i forgot what i was gonna say sorry (laughs) no something about uh so the people that don't know christ right or oh here it is i almost have it almost (laughs) oh yeah right so if you believe that right old christians believe that you can be or you are saved by faith through grace it is it is so you can't boast right but ultimately, if, if you can, if you lose your salvation, then what do you have to do to gain it back? Ultimately, aren't you working something? Aren't you working for something if you have, can gain it back? Yeah, there is in the I've, in the Slavic community, I've experienced this weird accusation that the doctrine of, for lack of a better term, eternal security, is a Roman Catholic idea. That is the Roman Catholics that believe or have um, established this idea that once saved, you're always saved, right? And um, I find that very odd because that's completely not true. Because in the Roman Catholic tradition, you have the ability to easily lose your salvation through 
small sins and a mortal sin completely loses it. Yeah. And the way you work back is through penance, meaning you go and you drink of the cup and you eat of the bread, you say prayers, you pray to the saints, yeah. and you can't really earn it back. And so what happens when you die? You go to purgatory and you spend an X amount of years in this place where you're kind of tormented to finish paying to complete the sanctification process and to finish paying for your sin. And then you go to heaven and the reformed Protestant view is like Christ accomplished it all. Right. It was in fact finished. And so uh, it's, it's really difficult to say that, you know, there is, there's something that I can do after Christ has paid for my sin there's something worth of as much value as Christ that I can accomplish. It is a it is a very poor view of who Christ really was. Because if we believe that Christ is the most priceless, like if, if you wanted to put a price on who Christ was and what accomplished, like you could take all all the things in this universe and it would be a drop on it it'd be not even a red cent, one red cent in comparison to the infinite worth of who Christ is. And so Newsflash, everything you do is part of that not even one right sign. Like everything you try to accomplish, anything you try to earn will not fulfill. And earning means, oh, I'm going to repent. Earning means I'm not going to sin. It's like after you you murder someone, it's like, well, I'm going to stop murdering now and that's going to pay somehow for the actions that I accomplished. Yeah. So why should we ask for forgiveness if we're already forgiven from all of our future sins? Well, that's like saying, why should I eat a burger if I know what it tastes like? Right? You you've tasted you've eaten burger before. Does that does that give you energy and strength and the you know necessary nutrients to survive? No, like you actually have to eat the burger yeah. every day. Well, I don't know how much nutrients a burger gives. I like burgers. But my my whole point pig broccoli, right? We know we know we know that Christ forgave us. I know what food tastes like. If I don't eat food, I die. And so if I don't experience his redemption and repent for my sin and and pursue him and follow him every day, my soul will shovel up and die. I need him. I need to pursue him. And one of the ways I pursue him is acknowledging that I fall short of loving God with all my heart and soul and mind every single day. Right? Right? And so my acknowledgement brings me closer in our relationship with him so I can pursue him further and know him deeper and love him more. Yeah. So ultimately, asking for forgiveness, it humbles us and it reminds us that we are daily dependent on him. Even though we are completely forgiven of all of our sins, we we keep on repenting because we keep on sinning. Yeah, and it's like the, the, the actual, the reality, right? It, when Christ looks upon, I mean, when God the Father looks upon us, what he always sees is the pure righteousness of Christ that was given to us when we repented and trusted in him because he died for on the cross. That's what God the Father always sees. Mm-hmm. That's not what we always experience, right? Even though God the Father sees us as righteous and that's the actual reality, like the spiritual reality, which is more real than the physical world, is that we are just and righteous and we have no sin imputed to us there's nothing to punish us for that's the spiritual reality if we believe and trust in christ that doesn't mean we feel like that all the time right 
If you sin, you feel guilty because you've accomplished, you committed something that's anti-God's law. And so the way to reconcile your experience, lived experience, is to pursue Christ and repent and trust in Him. And that's the process of sanctification, right? And so... Uh, so ultimately, that daily repentance is for our sanctification. Yeah, it's, it is... My repentance, like if I if I sinned and my repentance and I repent, that repentance did not change my status from sa- unsaved to saved. Yeah, it did not. It didn't do that. Legally, you were the same. If you were like before a court of law, you're legally the same. Status. Yeah, that's that's like saying that God the Father adopted me into His family, and as soon as I committed something inappropriate or wrong, He disavowed me, and then He adopted me again, and disavowed me, and adopted me again. No. Right. That doesn't work. He he chastises every child that belongs yeah. to him that he brings in. He he lo- he he punishes every son, right? That he loves. Disciplines. Yeah. He disciplines. Well, chastises. No. Dis- you said punish. He, yes, well, disciplines. Um, punishes. Well, you know where it could go. Sem- to. Semantics. Like, I understand. Etern- it's not eternal punishment. Yes, and so um, yeah. Yeah, like a, a son. A son is a. He still has to go back to the father to be reconciled, but the father will still love him. Ultimately, the son is actually losing out on the blessings of the father, in a in an experiential sense. He's still the son, but he's like, he's distant from the father. And the father's like, he's right there. Just a caveat. Yeah. If if we're gonna go to father son examples, um. The parable of the lost son does not talk about this. It, it talks about something else. Yeah. The whole point of the parable of the lost, uh, or the the son, right, is for the Jews to recon- recognize that they are in fact the older brother. And anyways, yeah. I'm just yeah, yeah. That's that. Uh, there's always analogies of fathers and sons that you can find in scripture. That that's that's not don't ta- always have the same point. That's, that's talking about. That is talking about an actual lost person coming to Christ because it says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's what the son says. Yeah. And then and then it talks about the son that was jealous. You know, the, we often forget about the second son. Yeah, yeah. I, I was talking more about the um, biblical doctrine of adoption, being adopted into to Christ's family. Obviously, yeah. Because if you are able to push away your salvation once you already had it from your own will, then ultimately you would lose your adoption. Yeah. You would would lose your adoption. You would have to be born, born again. Born again, again. You would have to be resealed by the Holy Spirit. You would have to be, you know, grafted back in to Christ. Yeah. And you, you just see the reality of it even in, in the modern day, right? the the average American I think is baptized like two point seven or two point one times something like that two point five times in their lifetime it's like that's the process of of not realizing that you know if you were really his son you would have pursued Christ and you would have lived a holy life and if you weren't you know repent and trust in him um, one thing I was going to mention was that now that flew out of my head yeah so how about them Lakers. <laughs> I don't watch basketball. And what was I going to say? Oh, right. <laughs> this ultimately boils down to what you believe in regards to what you 
attribute to your salvation, whether it is God who completes and fully saves you, and it's an act of Christ on the cross. Oh, and if it's the Spirit that's saving you. Yeah, or if there is some involvement of your own will to contribute somehow to the whole salvation process, right? Like, did you did you contribute perhaps your acknowledgement, perhaps your mental assent, perhaps your even recognition? Or were you in fact dead at the bottom of the sea and then Christ picked you up, he resurrected you as a corpse and breathed life into your lungs, right? There was nothing of your decision, will-making, um, there was nothing of your contrib- contribution, right? And once you laid those things in perspective, it's like, well, of course I can't do anything to regain my salvation because my salvation was not gained by any of those things to begin with.